listening to the Human Growth Foundation's Endocrine Education Podcast, where healthcare providers and caregivers take a deeper dive into growth and bone disorders, as well as growth hormone deficiency treatment options with our special guest experts. I'm Dr. Joel Steelman. I'm a pediatric endocrinologist and part of the Human Growth Foundation. I'm joined today by Dr. Conda Reddy, who is also a pediatric endocrinologist in practice in Florida. Um, Dr. Reddy has been kind enough to um, share his expertise. Thank you. Thank you. So this is uh, Dr. Conda Reddy. I'm the chief in division of endocrinology, diabetes and metabolism, adventile children, and also professor in pediatrics. Well, thank you again for joining us. Pediatric endocrinologists, I think, have become more increasingly aware of bone conditions. We certainly treated, uh, I would, would you agree, a sizable number of children with like um, hypophosphatemic or low phosphorus rickets, uh, but there are new um, conditions that are now um, being diagnosed and have treatment. So tell me a little bit about how your uh, approach to bone disorders and diagnosing bone disorders has changed over the years? Yeah, it's a lot of pediatricians, they ask us, you know, when do you consider a bone dysplasia or skeletal mm-hmm. dysplasia? Because uh, they ask me, are all the short stature kids, are they, you know, be considered as a skeletal dysplasia? Mm. I would say, it's just short stature is not enough. So is it any disproportionate? Means the, as we all know, uh, the trunk, uh, you know, that, that means upper half of the body mm-hmm. is uh, way longer than uh, uh, your lower extremities at the time of the birth. Mm-hmm. But eventually, uh, when you, you know, progress with the age around 10, I think uh, both the upper and lower half of the body should be more or less equal around. Okay. If there is any disproportionate, then obviously that's one of the things to be considered, you know, uh, uh, kind of skeletal dysplasia along with other issues like any abnormalities in the ribs, uh, in a small chest, or any abnormality in the vertebral bodies, any, you know, that, you know, issues about bone density, uh, either uh, recurrent fractures, more often the fractures, any facial uh, anomalies, uh, dysmorphism, uh, mm-hmm. these kind of things put together, then we know there is high suspicion about, you know, uh, the skeletal dysplasia. Then we work on that both clinically and uh, sometimes we do the radiological imaging. On top of that, you know, if necessary, we do molecular genetic testing. Right. I mean, I think one of the things when I was listening to you um, talk about these things, it just I think it strikes me and it strikes many people and families, you know, how complex things are. So I'm going to try to go through and ask you a few specific questions because you you had so many good points in this this last segment. The first thing I wanted to ask you is a little bit about fractures, because that is an area that is obviously of concern from a number of different specialties. So from your standpoint, when do you become concerned about um, fracture number or frequency in children? Again, you know, the fractures in children is pretty common. Again, you know, Mm -hmm. if they they are very playful, they are, you know, they participate a lot of sports and activities, the, the it's the most important the intensity you know with any minimal trauma 
so is uh, getting you know these fractures then we we worry a little bit more rather than you know if he is you know fell from you know uh, on five foot uh, six foot you uh, know so from trampoline or somewhere he got a fracture obviously any contact sports he got a fracture we mm-hmm. usually don't consider you know uh, that's very significantly related to any uh, issues with uh, any biochemical pathways or endocrine issues and other things too but with a minor trauma uh, he is getting fractures then obviously we want to look into a little bit more deeper are there any issues about you know uh, calcium phosphate uh, uh, or vitamin d imbalance or something is uh, related to family so if it's a family history of obviously any you know issues about rickets or some other uh, skeletal dysplasias mm. or ankle bone disease we be more concerned so it's combination of you know the the intensity um, and also uh, the what kind of uh, uh, trauma is involved with that kind of fracture on top of that in a family history then we put together and then uh, on the the topic of family so from the standpoint of say families that wonder about the possibility there could be a genetic bone condition or say a primary care person what are maybe one or two sort of key pieces of information that can help to sort of guide one to being more suspicious of a bone condition yeah you know <clears throat> it's again the family you know if there is any family history of you know kind of brittle bone disease osteogenesis imperfecta mm. sometimes you know any family history of lysosomal disorders which i worked in lot in during my med school and fellow as a mucopolysaccharidosis mm. uh, mucolipidosis kind of these conditions which you associate with the skeletal abnormalities or bone abnormalities and very rarely apart from the uh, dwarfism or achondroplasia there is other disease uh, very rarely you come across is called uh, uh, marble bone disease that means increased bone density uh, right those situations uh, you know you have some family history because uh, some of these disorders are uh, uh, major autosomal you know uh, Uh, dominant and uh, especially achondroplasia some of them are autosomal recessive obviously in hypophosphatic rickets it may be both autosomal and sex uh, chromosome related to yeah, definitely definitely um and then as far as achondroplasia so achondroplasia has been not historically conditioned that pediatric endocrine has really had yeah. much involvement in growth hormone treatment has not really in i think would you agree that growth hormone is not really proven to be particularly effective in the condition yeah because you know when i was a resident i fellow in england so we did some uh, uh, the research a clinical trial you know it it worsened that uh, this uh, disproportionate uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know short stature i would say in terminology so basically in acanroplasia uh, you see these uh, long bones like the proximal uh, long bones will be a little bit shorter in medical mm-hmm. technology college uh, rhizomelic dwarfism right. uh, if you do the growth hormone therapy it's not really useful and also it can worsen some situations with rhizomelic dwarfism well tell me uh, so now again that that um, endocrinology has become more involved in achondroplasia tell me a little bit about sort of your personal approach when you meet with families um with a child who has achondroplasia yeah you know <clears throat> eventually 
the, the most important to how to improve their functional uh, capacity how to monitor those complications again mm. the multidisciplinary approach is very important along with primary care physician with uh, uh, and all other specialties mainly uh, neurosurgeon orthopedics ent physical and occupational therapy so in uh, few years ago uh, the echinoplasia so growth hormone is not very useful as a pediatric endocrinologist our hands more or less tied not to do much the mm. thing cannot do but now there is a, uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel so so we see uh, there is a molecule called you know uh, c terminal natriuretic peptide so mm. this uh, is also called as a vasoretide this uh, this molecule uh, it seems you know to helps us to uh those population to stimulate the endochondrial ossification so that uh, uh helps us to you know uh, for the bone growth and improve their uh, uh, growth velocity comparably placebo group uh, half an inch to a uh, three quarter inch per year so if you treat these kids you know obviously for 7 to 10 years so basically you can improve uh, around 5 to 7 inches is a big difference though you know the <clears throat> the median uh, uh, adult uh, height for achondroplasia patients around 4 foot so instead of 4 foot if you able to do 4 5 4 7 definitely their functional capacity uh, their uh, uh, the <clears throat> the ability to get their jobs the ability to live independently will be improved in my point of view i yeah that's always a challenge when you have extreme short stature and and some of the functional issues yeah um, in adults even the schools and absolutely uh, and the sports and other kind of stuff too absolutely um so tell me a little bit um this is more of a general question because uh, this is something i have families ask me so i'm interested what your your thoughts and your recommendations are as far as just general um health of the bones so nutritional factors activity factors just other things that that you advise families if that you see a child who say has more frequent fractures yeah so the most important again you know <clears throat> uh the nutrition you know i advise uh, strongly to be we be more balanced in nutrition rather than to be non nutritional foods lot of kids nowadays they depending on so make sure they are getting enough calcium and also mm. dairy possibly if they are not lactose intolerant you know uh, to promote those uh, kind of uh, vitamin d calcium and the phosphorus uh, rich foods uh, rather than to just depending on non nutritional fast foods and also second uh, uh, most uh, important thing to uh, physical activity and exercise so mm-hmm. that's that uh, you know many studies proven that helps to improve the uh, you know the cement formation of bones and also the density Uh, bone density will improve with this physical activity and exercise and avoid obesity so if you be overweight that has negative impact on your bones then you see sometimes you know uh, mm-hmm. the outward deviation of the your uh, lower end of the leg bones uh, and it's called genu varum and this uh, this things and right. uh, the blood disease so we advise to be focused on our body uh, the weight and uh, you know uh, then if you have any family history of uh, this recurrent fractures any associated with other abnormalities uh, then i would recommend to see uh, the endocrinologist uh, to make sure we are not dealing with uh, you know Uh, any abnormal uh, skeletal dysplasia because uh, there are 400 different types of skeletal dysplasias absolutely yeah 
that's why uh, we uh, it's uh, worth to look into if there is any concern in both primary care pediatrician or the family is concerned about these conditions so the most important you know which i want to if any any of your kid with uh, you know unusual or abnormal kind of disproportionate short stature mm-hmm. and uh, it uh, recurrent fractures with minor uh, trauma uh, on top of that uh, you know uh, you have any other uh, uh, family history um, uh, so i would recommend to see uh, endocrinologist for further evaluation uh, because there are some medications available uh, for metabolic bone diseases mm. uh, it is uh, there is uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel um, um, and again you know focus on more nutrition physical activity uh, to improve your bone health and again uh, if you have any concerns you can approach with primary care pediatrician or nutritionist how to improve their nutritional value for the bone mm-hmm. health and uh, obviously if any concerns you have i would recommend to see uh, endocrinologist for further evaluation okay well thank you so much for joining us today and, and taking time out of your schedule to, to share your expertise thank you sir we will uh, hopefully we'll see you soon Thanks for listening to the Human Growth Foundation's Endocrine Education Podcast. To listen to previous podcasts, please visit hgfound.org forward slash podcasts.